0: Hi everyone, and welcome to the Spencer Lodge podcast here at the Success Resources event here in Dubai, National Achievers' Congress. It's the first time it's been here. And I've got Michael Lane, the Managing Director of Success Resources with us, along with Maria Concier-Sal, and she's got a fantastic story to share with us. So before we get started, cue the music. So Michael, first of all, thank you so much for what you've done for these young ladies and bringing them here today. I reached out to you before the event and you were like, Spence, if I can help, then let me do it. And do you know what? That for me just meant that you were the kind of guy that these kind of things mattered and it was important. Charity for you, is it something that you spend a lot of time with Success Resources getting involved with or is it something that that you're very particular about? Uh,
1: You know, it's a great question. And in the last 12 to 18 months, my life was impacted in a very specific way and it put attention that i need to do some more in this area right so we launched um, the sr give back fund which is a uh, a success resources uh way of giving back to into many different causes so yeah charity in the last 12 months has become a huge focus and my goal is in by 2025 that 25 percent of my time it was purely charitable organisations, raising awareness, raising funds.
0: So when you said, can I help, I said, absolutely. It's fantastic to see. Now, how does has someone in your position ever decide, you know, because there's, there's millions of charities, there's millions of people that need help. Just, sometimes it can be overwhelming as to where you start. How, how do you, and for me, it was like you lean into something that's close to home sometimes. Yes. So if you had an event that happened to you.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, I had a friend um, who went through some mental illness and... Uh, Unfortunately, you know, that wasn't a a successful story to the end of that journey. But there's benefits from that. And now I can put my attention on helping other people around raising awareness around mental health. So that's the first cause. Um, I have no set charity in one particular area that around mental health is just if I can try and put my attention on amazing causes where the funds actually go to the community. Do you mean what I realized in a lot of my due diligence around charities is that most of it are for profit even though they are charitable organizations so for me i'm putting my focus on helping anyone that i feel congruently i can help and next year 2020 uh every sr region will put a huge focus on raising awareness for mental health
0: that's fantastic fantastic it's something that's really close to my heart i didn't realize we hadn't even talked about this i no. didn't realize that so yeah it's something very close to me Maria, thank you for coming to join us today. I know that you hate being on camera. I know you're you're absolutely terrified of this kind of stuff. But um, the reason I've asked you to join us is that, that first of all, you have a really compelling story to tell. Uh, And whilst I've heard it and it moves me every time I hear it, I want more people to hear this message. And Michael, if it is a conduit to other people, then that's why I've stolen him. So would you just tell him, with the Maria Cristina Foundation how this started, what happened to you, how it started and what you then went and done. Because as far as I'm concerned, you're bonkers and you're crazy to do all the things you've done, but it's remarkable.
2: Thank you, Spencer, for having me here and for introducing me to Michael. Michael, thank you for the opportunity to have my girls here my on pleasure. this uh, conference. So I'm Maria from Portugal. I'm 42 years old. I'm, uh, when I was two years old, my mom was a single mom and she was unemployed and she was really struggling severely. And this is when she met a poor refugee woman from Angola, a woman called Cristina. She was living in Portugal. She had six kids of her own. She was a widow and she worked as a cleaner to support her own family. When she met my mom and she saw her struggling so severely, so badly, she told my mom, why don't you go to the city, find a job, become independent and I will take care of Maria until then. And she used to say, who feeds six, feeds seven. Mm -hmm. When my mom went to Lisbon, Christina didn't know at the time that my mom had a mental illness and she was never going to come back. So uh, Christina had to fight very hard with the social services because they didn't think that Christina, a poor refugee woman from Angola with six children and a cleaner could give me a good future. Mm -hmm. But she put her foot on the ground that she was going to take care of me until my mother came back. When I was nine years old, Christina had a heart attack. She died. However, her elder uh, daughters, they took care of me. At age of 12, I had to stop going to school and I stayed at home taking care of my nephews and nieces. Wow. And it was normal, okay? okay? At age of 18, I left Portugal and I had no education. So I was looking for better opportunities. And I went to, uh, I was told since I was 12 to 18, the only thing without education, only thing I could expect in life was becoming a cleaner. Okay. So when I went to Switzerland, uh, I, I left Portugal and I went to Switzerland and I thought, if the only thing I'm gonna do in my life is to be a cleaner, I'm not just gonna be a cleaner. I'm gonna be the, the Ronaldo of the cleaning world. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I became the Ronaldo of cleaning world. I spent three years in Switzerland, I went to England. And when I was in, in England, always I worked uh, always as a cleaner, either as a cleaner. Sometimes I had two, three jobs, cleaner, washing dishes in the restaurants, cleaning table. I learned French, I learned English. And then one day I went to a job center and they advised me, because I spoke English and French, they advise, and I was to Ronaldo of the cleaning world, that they advised me to apply, to be a cabin crew with Emirates Airlines. Wow. I went for the job interview. I had no money for my, I just thought if I'm gonna go to the job interview, I'm not gonna go as I'm applying for a job. I'm gonna go as I'm already a flight attendant. I love that. Uh, waiting to board the plane, so I went to Benetton uh, to shop. Yes. I bought a suit. I went for the job interview, and next day I returned it. Okay. To suit. Entrepreneurial
1: <laughs> skills are kicking <laughs> in. I love
2: it. On the job interview, there was 100 uh, ladies and gentlemen applying for the job, and only two they got the job, and I was one of them. Wow. So I really thought I had won the lottery. I couldn't believe that I was. I came from England to here to work to travel all around the world stay in fancy hotels. I I really, truly thought I I hit jackpot. Two years later, Emirates Airlines asked me to do a 24-hour layover to go to Bangladesh, one of the poorest countries in the world. And when I boarded that plane, I had no idea, Spencer and Michael, that my life was going to change 180 degrees. When I got to Bangladesh, it was the first time I witnessed poverty. And I came from a very humble background and I thought I had myself grown in poverty, but I didn't understand the meaning of poverty until I got to Bangladesh. When I got to Bangladesh and I witnessed what was going on four hours away from Dubai, I thought I had a very luxury lifestyle with Christina and her six children. So the same way that Christina promised my mother she was going to take care of me, I you know, more than poverty on, on these uh, people yeah. there in Bangladesh, I saw so much potential going down to waste. So I decided that I was going to start to help the, some of the children that I saw in the slums of in the slums. So I started with 39 kids and I started every month going back forward to Dhaka. Wow. Initially, it was just to give them the essential needs that they needed, food, medical care, clothing. And I've, I ended up opening a, a project, a, a charity project. Okay. I opened a nursery, preschool, primary school, secondary school, computer center, medical center. And I'm going to tell you honestly, Michael, I had no idea. Remember, I was just a, a 12 year old with a fi- uh, no education, no yes. formal education, just work, uh, working at 39,000 feet serving chicken or beef. I had no idea how to open a charity organization, a school, a computer center, but I asked people, professionals, to help me A to Z how to do it. The first three years, I was very successful. Everyone here in Dubai, they knew who was that crazy flight attendant who decided to swap their Seychelles and Mauritius flights to go to a third world country to help the children. I love that. So we had at the time 600 children. We were supporting them with everyday needs, uh, food, medical, dental, house rent, everything you can possibly imagine. Uh, sports, uh, dancing, extracurricular activities. Then 2008 came. Recession came. Mm-hmm. My sponsors, I started to lose my sponsors. They started to lose their jobs and they started to lose their companies. And I started to lose, m- they uh, started to lose my sponsors. Yes. So I just Googled on internet, what can I do to raise the funds that I needed? Because at the time I had 600 kids and they really depended on me. So on the internet he said, if I, you know, if I knew someone famous like Angelina Jolie, Ronaldo, and they became my ambassadors or they organized a gala, I could raise the funds. So I wrote to all famous people asking for help. And then things like if you'd go on a t- popular TV show like Ellen and Oprah, you know you'll have yeah. a, so I wrote to them but you know and then I just thought my goodness how many million of people they are trying to get to mm. Ronaldo and all these famous people and Ellen so I kept googling on the internet and on the internet I found an interesting article that said that a team from England was going to the North Pole and they were hoping to raise two million pounds okay. if they reached the North Pole and they already had raised one million pounds by that time So I just thought, my God, this is a great opportunity. All I have to do to raise the money to help these kids is to uh, go to the North Pole. Mm -hmm. Up to that point, I never had done sports in my life. Unless you consider going from first class galley (laughs) to the cabin, (laughs) serving tea and coffee, sports. So I just thought, but then by then I just thought, you know, a doctor was not a doctor when he was born, a lawyer was mm. not a, a, a lawyer, a financial account. So what does sport, uh, an athlete, has to do to transform himself in an athlete? I went on Google, I found a, um, a research for a personal trainer, and I just asked him a question: Do you know? Did you watch Kung Fu Panda? Mm. <laughs>
0: Kung Fu Panda.
2: <laughs> you know? Yes. And he said yes. I said like, okay, me Kung Fu Panda. In four months, I have to get to the North Pole because I have to raise one million pounds to help these 600 kids. Don't ask me how. Mm -hmm. He thought I was completely bonkers and crazy. I never did sports in my life and I want to go to the North Pole. However, we trained really hard for four months. Four months later, I reached the North Pole. I became the first Portuguese woman to do it. So an expedition to the North Pole. I didn't raise my million pounds or my, like uh, the team in England. However, a school here in Dubai, they offered the opportunity for five students to have seven years of free education. So I would bring five students from yes. the slums of Dhaka to live in Dubai, all expenses paid. That's amazing. So that helped the kids that mm-hmm. they came. They are today they're in university in USA and in Dubai, wow. but didn't help the kids in Dhaka. So yeah. I, Angelina Jolie still didn't reply, Ronaldo, <laughs> Ellen, right. and Oprah, so I just, went back to the internet what else can i do what else can i do to raise the funds needed and um, an article came up that the first jordanian man that he climbed everest had raised two million dollars michael now, okay. Michael, if you had the opportunity to raise $2 million and the only thing you had to do was climbing Everest, wouldn't you do it?
1: <laughs> I would definitely try. I don't know if I would get all the way, but okay. Of
2: course you could. So I thought, that's all I have to do. Yeah. In that case, I'm going to transform myself into a climber. Hey, I went to the North Pole. If I could go to the North Pole, I can certainly become... A, yeah. Okay. Uh, and then I just thought all these climbers, when they were born, they were not climbers, so I can transform myself. Okay. I researched on in Google. I found an expert with 35 years of experience in the mountaineering and climbing. His name is Satya Bratadam, from India. And he had a dream to find the most incapable person in the world, either female or male, and shape him or her to reach the top of okay. Everest. So when I, he got my email saying, I have a charity organization, I want to summit Everest so I can raise a million dollars. Will you train me? He thought the dream come true. Wow. And he told me, we can do it in two years. I can completely transform you into a top-class climber. Mm -hmm. I told him, we don't have two years because every day these children, they depend on me. We did it in one year. But I had to do the work that some uh, climber does in two years. We had to do it in one year. It was one of my hardest years of my life, physically and mentally, to transform me into a climber. I trained. I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning, Spencer. (laughs) I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning to start training six hours a day. One year later, I became the first and only Portuguese woman to climb Everest. Wow. Unfortunately, uh, Portugal was going through a, a massive recession then, okay. and it didn't make the media. So it was one of the I made right. it to the to top. But when I came back down, there was no media, there was no visibility. So we had to shut down the whole project oh, completely. Dear. The kids, they had to go back to the streets. Some of the girls, they were forced to get married. Some of the boys, they had to start working. And it was really tough for me. So I just thought, you know, we cannot, uh, I hit rock bottom. It was a huge failure. But someone told me, you know, when you are thinking about climbing Everest, you thought really small because you were only thinking to target Portugal. And Portugal is a small country with 10 million people you have to do something that raises awareness and visibility all around the world. Mm -hmm. And someone challenged me at the time in 2014, marathons was really popular. Everyone was, it's the hype talking about Emirates. And someone challenged me and they said, why don't you try to run marathons around the world in the shortest, in the seven Mm -hmm. continents, in the shortest time. So I just thought, okay, this time I really have to eat the media to raise the money. And you know, because the project shut down. So it's like Titanic, we sank. Right. So I thought, no, 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 I'm going to take it back. Mm. So what I did, I contacted uh, Nike, and I asked them to transform me into an athlete. That not only I wanted to run the seven continents, I wanted to do it in the shortest time, and break a world record. Because to make sure I would hit the media. We started, Nike thought it was really interesting. Mm -hmm. Oh my god, you did North Pole, you climbed Everest, you are an athlete, of course we're going to train you. Three months later, they dropped me. They dropped me because I was such a bad runner. Really, okay. I could not, every time I did um, races, I used to be always the last one to race, to get to the finish right. line. Right. And they told me, you cannot be a marathon runner. So I just thought, I can become a marathon runner. He's them, they cannot transform me into a marathon runner. Mm. I found someone else. One year, one year later, not only I run seven continents in the shortest time, I broke four Guinness World Records. Wow. That got me some media exposure and I was able to bring 200 of the kids back. I was not able to bring the 600 back. I brought 200 kids back. So every year, ever since then, every year I do a sport challenge to raise the money and the awareness. So did the broke world record. I have currently eight Guinness world records in running marathons. Ultra marathons and doing Ironmans, the full Ironman. Yeah, wow. So I managed to do six Ironmans in fifty-six days. Most athletes they do it one, uh, two to three Ironmans a year, and I did six in six ta- uh, fifty-six days in the six continents, and I broke world
0: records. You've done, you've done remarkable things, but it's the, the the reason that you started to do this in the first place was was because of what you witnessed. Yes. Can Can you just try and. Let us understand and visualize maybe what you could see that maybe we could have never been able to see, and some of the horror stories that even in recent times people are going through
2: so this how,
0: how young are the women are the girls married off
2: so today uh, the life of a child is defined in the slums of Dhaka on a day that he's born. If he's born a boy, he's likely to go to school primary school and then he has to go work to support his family okay the girls depending of what skin color they were born you will uh, define how is going to be their future if they are born with dark skin they are considered really ugly really horrible and no one in the community will want to get married with them or get a job if they are born with light skin they will likely be uh, offered to someone uh, promised to get married okay. they get married at age of 11 or 12 that depends okay. when they get their period they have no uh, how do you say they cannot? Ch- and often with someone three, four times their age. So at age of eleven, twelve, they are forced to get married with someone in a community, three, four times their age. They get raped. Thirty
0: or forty years old. No,
2: eleven, twelve years old. Yeah,
0: marrying a thirty yeah. to forty-year-old. Yes,
2: and they—you can imagine being forced with someone, forced mm-hmm. to get married with someone. So they get beaten up, they get raped. They—but you cannot say is that because it's marriage. Yeah. Uh, and then they have to start working. They were. And some of these kids, they start working at the age of five, six, seven, eight, depending how st- struggling the family is. And often their salary is the food that they're going to eat that day. We have students that when I met them, now their salary, they used to work 12 hours a day, six hours, uh, six days a week. And their salary was breakfast, lunch and dinner. Right. They live uh, in makeshift houses. Um, you know, the... Um, Shanty towns. Shanty towns. Yeah. No uh, no water, no electricity, no doors, no uh, no air conditioner. Anyone can come inside of the house and do whatever what they want with the, the young girls. To,
0: to, to give an example, you told me when we were talking when the girls were here in the summer about they'd never had a shower. Just explain that.
2: You wow. know, in the slums, there is no showers. No showers. So the woman, what they do, they, they get... It rains, when it rains, they get a bucket of water and then they just put all, water all over their right, heads. Right. And I actually, when they first came to Dubai, I had to teach them how a woman has a shower. Right. You know, it was the first time they had a shower in their life because there were, is no uh, And
0: the girls were between the age of 10 and 13. Surely yeah, 15.
2: She One did. of our students had a shower for the first time when she was 15. Unbelievable. I just brought uh, the first mother to Dubai now. She's forty-seven years old mm-hmm. and it's the first time she had a shower, a proper shower in her life. You know? Yeah, and crazy. I, I actually, it's crazy, it's yeah. crazy. Unbelievable. You know? So
0: So you can see and, why there's a there's obviously yeah, drive and, and passion and a big why around yeah. why she does what she does. I'm fascinated. And by they
2: it. they live there, it's so filthy, so this guy, they don't have a garbage uh, what do you call? Garbage like, collection, yeah. Garbage collection, You're right. so so much illness. So and they grow uh, you know they have maybe they when I first met them maybe they were eating one meal a day right yeah. so
1: the first thing that's coming to mind for me is how can I help yeah. do you mean it's kind of like um, yeah it, there's got to be a way I can help this
2: Michael I need more visibility exposure yeah speaking events
1: yeah so what's the goal for you what does it look like and then the way I work is like, what would you love to achieve? And then I can see I can reverse engineer yeah, back, right?
2: So what I do, I take the, uh, the students all the way from grade one to grade 12. Mm-hmm. At the grade 12, yes. they have two options. I would like to take them to university. Mm-hmm. Last year, we sent, sent to Portugal 17 students. They're doing their degrees oh. in international business, management, imagin- chemical engineering, informatics engineering. Yes. This year, I had 20 students. They were accepted into university. I could not send them because they didn't, we didn't have the funds. So what I started to work was in two, uh, two programs, the university program, but I have no funding. The second program is while they are on their gap year, forced gap year, I bring them from Dhaka, I bring them to stay with me in my house here in Dubai, and I try to find them uh, internships.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow, okay, so my, my mind's already going, mm-hmm. so that's great. Um, I, I can think of a few ways that we can immediately do some stuff that'll okay. raise awareness, um, exposure. exposure, you know, Speaking SR, SR office, looking for staff, internships,
0: those kind of things. So you just opened up an office here in Dubai recently. Yeah. You?
2: And Michael, all 100% of the funding of the charity we receive, it goes directly to the st- students. I do not use the money for my own expenses. I can, I can feel how, that. How do I earn my living? Uh, by doing speaking events. Yes. And I have a biography, I sell the book. Yes. Okay, and sometimes people my friends they help me if monthly I'm struggling with sure. financially to pay my rent of my expenses, I ask people for help. Like Spencer recently I had an emergency in Dhaka and I didn't have money to go to Dhaka. Yeah. One of our young girls, age twelve, she got gang raped by three men. So they admitted her in a mental uh, she was in ICU first and then they admitted her they don't have the system to support a, a child like that they right. put her in a mental hospital so i called Spencer. i have no money to go yeah. so he supported me that's
0: amazing so yeah, it's a serious situation and i think like when you get when you get touched by this kind of stuff mm-hmm. you, you, for people like us it it reminds us how lucky we are doesn't it Absolutely. And sometimes and and how we can uh, how we can all know that we're trying to do some good but we can take take a lot for granted and uh maria's story is a, a, a was a big wake-up call for me when i heard it yeah so just like you what can yeah. i do to help how can yeah. i how can i get involved and it's not always about money uh, no you know it isn't you know to just go out asking people for, for money isn't always a solution it's you know sometimes it's time sometimes it's exposure sometimes it's like internships when they come mm. here that feeling of of worth and value mm. being able to be here and, and learn something. Because when they've been in the environment they've been in, you know, you and I went to school when we were young and there were some kids that were into learning and some looked out the window all day, you know, yeah. weren't they interested. But when you've not had the privilege of being able to learn, you're thirsty, mm. okay? You really want, this. so even at events like this, young people, they're, they're just consuming it, its, yeah. it's knowledge. And so doing an internship work it work in, work in as an in, in an internship even as in a coffee shop learning yeah. stuff like that you know mm. customer relationships mm. and stuff like that. all of that for these for these guys is it's like big stuff it's really right. valuable and so so there's just everyone can do a bit i'm sure okay everyone can can easily you know focus on other things and get on with their careers and stuff mm. but sometimes i just think that that when you're moved by something eight Guinness World Records, Everest, every mountain, North Pole, South Pole. She's just been training to swim the English Channel. Wow. And it's just it's just like, what are you doing, Rhea? <laughs> what are you doing now? She, uh, she, she, just, she sends me a video of herself towing two big tractor tyres along behind her, walking along as if she's preparing for the sledge. And she's like, well, when you go to the North Pole, you need to do this too. And for someone that never did sport, mm. then to go and do that. When you meet people, and you know this, when you meet people that have a really compelling why, yeah, it's like a force of nature, isn't it? It is. It's like, it, it, nothing can stop it.
1: Yeah, and you know what's funny about that is that not too many people truly tap into their why as much as you do. I, You know, a lot of people think they've found their why. I can feel you found your why, right? And there's a big difference. Um, so look, I, I absolutely love what you stand for. I think you're superhuman. I think you're amazing. I think this is a, turning point for me to be able to come and help and try and give back somehow some way and that's and I love that you said it's not just about the money I think true value from my side could be putting something in place that you know has uh, you know something in perpetuity whether it's learning education growth a job those kind of things rather than just a donation here yeah, and there. Oh, yeah. right I, that, so, that's worth more absolutely so I'm going to go away from this and I definitely want to connect with you and figure out a plan for 2020 on what okay. we can do, not only in this region, but, but globally to help you with your cause.
2: Thank you. And you have, have some of our young ladies here. <laughs> I you see. Can, since 2005, some of them, they joined the program in 2005, 2006 and 2008. And they've amazing. been with me since then and we've been supporting them.
1: It's amazing. Congratulations. <laughs> my lesson my my thought for you though is don't stop learning make sure you always continue to learn try and do 30 minutes a day of development at least on yourself reading writing listening to spencer's podcast doing whatever you can to continue to grow yourself will help you get to where you want to go quicker
0: now i know i've had you on the show um briefly when you were over in sydney we'll be caught up but just can you just give me give me five minutes of your time before you finish and just tell me how you got into success resources what is it all about and why people should be here you know we're in dubai there's thousands of people in there already but why should people be coming to events like this yeah look you know as we spoke earlier i
1: think education is is something that can completely level the playing field doesn't matter where you're born doesn't matter your circumstances we we've proven that here today Through education and growth, you can go on to achieve whatever it is you want. Mm -hmm. So Success Resources is all about creating, you know, lasting education for someone to use to change their life. And that's what we're all about. So, so excited to be here in Dubai, our first major event. uh, I can honestly say, I can't wait to come back. There's so much good stuff. There's such a good energy here. We talked about entrepreneurship, right? And I think Dubai is almost this, Epicenter of entrepreneurship, so I'm just so excited that we can continue to grow as a company, um, and this region is going to be on our list for a long time.
0: Good, excellent stuff. Well, Maria, I've made the introduction. Michael, you've been a true gentleman. Thank I you. really appreciate you listening to something that matters to us back. Yeah, ladies and gents, Michael. Thank and you, Michael and Maria. Thanks, mate. Thank you. <laughs> Well there we go a fantastic interview with the awesome Michael Lane the managing director of Success Resources along with Maria sale uh, I would say a force of nature personally great to learn about her story great for Michael to hear it and to see how he was moved just in the same way that I was look guys if you would like to see more episodes of this podcast you can click there and you can see more or if you want to subscribe and get everything coming to you over and over and over again then click there And you can do me a big favour by making sure that comes in, but also you can get to learn about the stories of people like Maria. Go on, do it for Maria. Press that button.